All you IMAX fans, please enjoy our interview with David Keeley, current chief quality guru at IMAX, former vice president of IMAX and co-founder of Post DPK 70mm. Since the 1970s, David has been essential to building the technology and brand of IMAX and has helped bring the format to many of your favorite films, working closely with directors like Christopher Nolan. All right, welcome to the special episode of Raiders of Lost podcast. We are joined by David Keeley, one of the gurus of IMAX and IMAX post-production. Thanks so much for joining us on this show. We're huge fans of IMAX. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Great to have you guys interested in, in IMAX, uh, the world's, I think, best way to see cinema, especially in 70 millimeter and, of course, Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer looked amazing. Now, we've actually been fans of IMAX since we were teenagers. I remember Jordan, Jordan's Furniture in, in Natick, Massachusetts, they had an IMAX theater, and we saw 300 there. We saw Spider-Man 3 there. We saw The Dark Knight there. So the early days of IMAX, we've always been a fan of it. And I think because we're such cinema lovers, we recognize the difference when you watch something like The Dark Knight with that IMAX film. And just that first shot of pushing it on the building, I felt that. And that's something that only IMAX can do with the immersion of being in a theatrical projection of that. Yes, yeah, so I've been to that theater, Jordan's, a number of times. And yes, that, that first shot uh, in the dark night, pushing in on the building, I've been in audiences where it's just a building shot, but you can just hear the audience go... <gasps> You can hear the air kind of get sucked out of the room. If you're, if you're not experienced in IMAX, because a lot of people, you know, we've, we've been around for over 50 years, for the first 30 years in just documentaries, but the first real feature um, of uh, that uh, a, a big name director uh, had done was The Dark Knight, and that building certainly took the breath away of a lot of audience members. Yeah, it was just regular for us. Now, can you explain just your background, your involvement with IMAX over the last several decades and up to the present day for our listeners? Uh, well, uh, I was very lucky to get involved uh, early on. Uh, the first permanent IMAX theater was at Ontario Place in Toronto, opened May 22nd, 1971. Uh, uh, I was in film school. Um, my partner and wife, we've been married a year and still my partner at IMAX. Um, we went to see this m new movie system called IMAX. And within the first minute, because the first the first uh, shot in the movie is really iconic, I uh, elbowed her and said, I got to figure out how to get involved. And I was lucky enough to get hired by that entity, Ontario Place, um, that when I graduated the next year. And to be assistant director on the third IMAX movie that was ever made. And I took it to Los Angeles where all the post-production was done uh, and also uh, uh, kind of learned about um, the intricacies of the laboratory work because that's all where the laboratory work was done. Um, and Patricia and I built a business which we sold to IMAX in 1988 and to date, We've worked on, over the last 51 years, over 500 films, uh, many documentaries and, and many features. Going back to the actual first feature, uh, Hollywood feature done was Fantasia 2000 with Roy Disney in, uh, in 2000, of course. 
Now, why was IMAX developed in the first place? Well, um, the founders of IMAX um, uh, built, uh, uh, didn't build, but made a movie called uh, Polar Regions um, for Expo 67. And it was a, a number of 35 millimeter projectors. I may have this slightly wrong. I think there was five. Uh, the uh, audience moved by those screens. And you have three, five 35 millimeter projectors running um, and you have the color to worry about the synchronization of those. They long for a format that you could put all these images onto one piece of film so you wouldn't have all these color and synchronization issues. Um, and so they developed, uh, they developed IMAX uh, basically because of, of, of that need. And actually the first name of uh, IMAX Corporation was Multiscreen Corporation. Um, and you can see why. And, and it developed uh, Bill Shaw, uh, Graham Ferguson, Roman Corridor, uh, Robert Kerr. Those were the initial founders, followed by Bill Brookman a little bit later, uh, who built this system, not just the cameras, uh, but with the help of Ron Jones, an Australian, developed a rolling loop projector, which of course you can see, um, well, the, the real units right behind me here um, in this virtual background, uh, to enable uh, IMAX film <clears throat> to run horizontally through a rolling loop system with unprecedented steadiness and focus, and that's that's how it started. So interesting. Yeah, I, I read that. It was just a bunch of Canadian experimental filmmakers at that expo that just tried to create something big with those projectors synced up, and then it led to IMAX. And yeah, and speaking of the format of the film, could you explain the difference for our listeners? But the difference between actually filming on the IMAX format, which filmmakers like Nolan have been doing predominantly the last few years, compared to filming on something like thirty-five millimeter film. Well, um, IMAX is nine times larger than 35 millimeter film, and therefore the negative being that much larger, you get much better resolution. Um, and of course, there's there's a maybe a penalty for that. Uh, the run of an IMAX thousand foot mag magazine is only three minutes. Uh, it's a little bit noisier, um, but you do get uh, unprecedented uh, resolution, 18K of horizontal resolution. Uh, full bandwidth in all three colors, not bare pattern. So there's very few, <clears throat> there are few systems, well, there's no system that can rival that. There are some digital cameras coming out <clears throat> that they say that will rival that resolution, but the, the organic feel of cinema um, is really brought to <clears throat> new heights by, by the IMAX format. And since you've been involved with IMAX essentially since the beginning, where do you see the format heading in the future? Well, you know, we've always um, wanted ourselves to be at the top of the chain, and I think we've, uh, we've done that pretty well. We're investigating um, new ways of, of, of projecting, light steering, uh, LED screens, um, but those are digital. And I think what's proven over the last you know, three weeks is people are longing for that organic look. Uh, and we have 30 sites showing the showing in film, which is really important um, to, to our fans. But also you get the benefit when you shoot an IMAX, all the digital versions of the movie um, are uh, really quite, quite enhanced by uh, a thing called oversampling because it's shot with IMAX cameras, 18K of resolution, and all our digital formats downstream benefit from that 
that high resolution. You can even on your phone, you can tell the difference if you're shooting IMAX with that super quality versus what you get if you just shoot in 35 millimeter uh, or blow it up. Now, that's not to say the digital formats aren't great. The Arial F is excellent. You'll see some great results. Denny Villeneuve uh, with a Dune 2 and even Dune 1, um, amazing quality uh, in that format also. So this is a special organic look that Chris loves when you shoot it on film and you project on film. Yeah, there's just a different feeling about it, and that's why I think Nolan's been so important to not just the preservation but encouraging other filmmakers to continue shooting on film, and especially the highest format possible. And then J.J. Uh, Abrams has used it. Jordan Peele's used, I think, the digital system and the film system. And then um, Kerry Joji Fukunaga used it on the Bond film. And I just watched No Time to Die, and it was so gorgeous. And there's just something about the the feeling of film, and especially um, the large format. Because even compared to film photography, 35mm film photography is so much different from using the large format film photography and the audience I think is receptive to that and Oppenheimer is a great example of how many what 30 to 40 minutes were shot on IMAX film maybe more um, I don't know the, ex the exact um, uh, amount but uh, certainly er every reel of, of IMAX film uh, has has IMAX in it and there's 53 reels making up this three-hour movie so it's well spaced and of course Chris is a master at using this format to, to immerse you even more in in, in the big wide open uh, spaces that he that you you feel like you're there you feel like you're in the Senate chambers you feel uh, like you're um, you're at uh, the Trinity site and also you feel like you're in the room with those massive close-ups I think him he and Hoity uh, did some pretty cool experiments about how close can you really go to a face in IMAX. Uh, and I think they uh, they hit new new close up marks on this movie, and you really you can see you can see the pores in uh, Killian's face for sure. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, I was so immersed watching it. We saw it both in 70 millimeter IMAX projection, and then also we saw it just in 70 millimeter widescreen format, and obviously the IMAX is incomparable. It was so intimate. I never felt so involved in scenes before. And you're right, those close-ups were sensational, and I've never seen anything like it before. And I think the audience definitely felt that the entire time. And I think it's just really special and to see filmmakers really, like Nolan, start to, last several years, pursue it as telling their stories. And, you know, we, we were first exposed to IMAX at the Museum of Science in Boston, I believe, when they used to have, like, those documentaries about wildlife and animals and space documentaries. And I never would have thought that it would be used in theatrical film releases. And it seemed like a, a no-brainer that someone was going to realize the potential there. And I'm so happy that we have a filmmaker like Christopher Nolan and others who saw that potential and really pushed the boundaries. Well, it's interesting you say you, you're at the Museum of Boston. I've been there many times. But Chris actually, in his teenage years, uh, was living in Chicago. Uh, and he went to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago 
and saw movies like The Dream is Alive, um, Titanica, Everest. And he kind of, he was amazed by the quality on the dome. And he, he kind of longed for the ability to do that um, in feature films. <clears throat> so um, how it started with Chris uh, was uh, we did a DMR version, which is our enhancement techniques for Batman Begins. Um, and I think that was 2006 or something. Um, and uh, we did it in 4K. We did a film out shot by Wally Pfister in 239 to 1. Uh, and uh, I met Chris and obviously very impressed with him. I liked the movie. And I said, you know, I think I could do a little bit better. I think I could do some of this in 6K. Some of my colleagues said, you know, like, why bother? But, you know, I wanted to bother. And Chris said, cool. And so we did three minutes. I remember, it's the beginning of the movie where there's the, I think, the purple or the blue flower or whatever. Christian Bale picks it up or whatever. And we did three minutes in 6K. And, you know, Chris is a detail guy, and so am I. And, you know, I could see the difference. He could see the difference. Some people really couldn't, but he said, hmm, th these guys really mean business. They want to do, do, do things just a little bit better. <clears throat> so um, a lot of people don't, uh, don't know this, but uh, in, the, uh, um, in the prestige, uh, when the guy gets his, I guess maybe it's, I can't remember who, fingers get cut off. That was actually shot in IMAX. It never was released in IMAX, but this was Chris proving to himself and others that you could shoot in IMAX because obviously we don't we didn't have a lot of theaters then. Um, we do now, um, but uh, could you take the things generated on the IMAX format and make various versions in 35, maybe in 70 millimeter, and and duplicate it so that you could use it in other ways. So we proved that was uh, that that would work, um, and those shots, you know, were duplicated and put into the movie uh, in the regular format, which I I think it was 185. I can't be sure. Uh, maybe it was 239. <clears throat> so he he got the information from the IMAX. He optically extracted it to other formats, and so then we started on what is probably our biggest amount of testing in our history. For three or four months, we shot a couple of hundred thousand feet of IMAX film and day and night, um, traveling, studio shooting, exterior shooting, um, to prove we could, uh, we could do um, a feature film. And thus uh, came The Dark Knight. Um, so we, we've had um, a long history. So if we count, if we count uh, those two movies um, and, uh, and Oppenheimer, this is our ninth film we've worked on with Chris. That's fantastic. And speaking of Chris and Oppenheimer, uh, it's incredible that black and white IMAX film was developed for this movie. It had never existed before. And you, IMAX collaborated with Kodak for creating that film. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's, it's not quite accurate that it was created uh, for this movie. Um, and let me get into the nuance of that. Um, Kodak has made black and white film for decades. And 5222 is the 200-speed black and white film used in this. But Kodak makes film in big, wide rolls. They're about 52 inches wide. Uh, and then they just slit in 35 or 65 or even 16 millimeter. Uh, and so for, the, for this movie, um, for the first time, uh, they, slit, uh, they slit in 65. They may have slit 65 millimeter before for Pfeiffer. They slit it for IMAX, which is the same film. But the first time black and white original negative been run in an IMAX camera. And that's just not all of it. We had to get 
our colleagues at PhotoCam in Los Angeles had to adapt their developer from a color developer to a black and white developer so that we could get this film processed. How about uh, the sound? So what's the difference between you know a sound for an IMAX film in an IMAX theater versus sound for a normal theater? Well, IMAX has a very powerful sound system. Uh, we like to say that our, our, our sub bass, you can actually uh, feel it in your chest or your, your pant leg may actually vibrate versus just hearing it. So it's a very powerful sound system. And one thing it's important to know that IMAX was the first uh, cinema company that had digital um, audio in our theaters. Uh, I can't remember the date right now, but it was certainly 25 or 30 years ago that we put three CDs in sample for sample interlock, a CD, you know, and a you know, stereo. So that's how we came up with our, with six, our six track digital system uh, with three, three CDs. Before that, IMAX has always been a double system, a 35 millimeter mag uh, with, uh, with five tracks. So we've always, um, uh, we've always had a very good robust sound system. Um, we, we now have even a 12 track sound system, but Chris le likes our five and six track sound system. Uh, and that's what he, um, he used to mix um, uh, Oppenheimer. And I believe uh, IMAX screens are also slightly curved. And could you explain the reason for that? Well, I, the curving of the screen helps with the immersion. Um, and uh, you know, we've, seen, we've seen theaters as big as ours or close to our size flat. And you, you seem to have to search a little bit more for the image. Um, and it, it kind of, it envelops you in, in ways that's hard to describe, but it's curved, but it's also tilted towards you. And the classic IMAX theater, which was um, always um, just as, as the, its length was, as, um, was the same height of the screen. So therefore the screen fell over, it would always envelop you. Uh, like Lincoln Square, like Jordan Furniture, those are classic IMAX theaters. And uh, we have, you know, many of them around the world. The retrofits tend to be a little bit long. So if you're a, an old school IMAX person, I always like to sit sort of the, like in the middle of the audience. A lot of people like to sit in the back, but I, I'm a kind of a, a front of middle and therefore the immersion is helped and for the sound also. So I think, oh, and the other thing is, you know, before IMAX, um, the, the Greeks of course had the amphitheaters, but the first cinema stadium seating uh, was the the IMAX screen um, and uh, at Ontario Place, but I, I missed a little bit before that. IMAX actually premiered in Osaka in 1970 with, with the film Tiger Child, and that had steeply raised stadium seating. And obviously, the best way to watch a film is an IMAX 70 projection on onto the film, but there are still many digital projections for IMAX. Can you explain that? Um, the IMAX digital pro projection is still a higher quality than the typical digital projection you'll get at your average movie theater. Well, yes, IMAX is, is quite unique. Um, uh, if you go to Jordan's Furniture and Reading right now, they have our GT digital theater, which is 4K. It's dual 4K, um, uh, sub-pixel aligned uh, at a 22-foot Lambert standard instead of the industry 14-foot Lamberts. Also, we use the entire chip. Most projectors today, 99% are based on the D DLP, uh, Texas Instrument chips. Those chips are 1-9-0 aspect ratio. But IMAX is the only company that put a vertical anamorphic lens on those to stretch out to 1-4-3. So um, 
Also, our light engines and those projectors and our commercial laser projectors are proprietary. It's a prismless system, which gives us unparalleled ANSI or checkerboard contrast. So we believe um, you know, everything's at spec and our, our NOx standard tries to ensure that every time we do have a great digital experience across our network, which is now 1800 theaters. And I think maybe we're up to 83 countries because I was amazed this morning, I got a email from our staff that we're actually, believe it or not, in Lasha, Tibet. We have now, I believe, that, that the, uh, the highest elevation first run cinema in the world opening, I think tomorrow um, in Lasha, Quebec at over 12,000 feet high. That's incredible. That's and great. Speak, speak about things that are massive, like the giant Oppenheimer film reel behind you. Of course, the image is incredible. It's the, the, the highest resolution you can get in filmmaking. But I'm sure that doesn't come without lots of difficulties in production. Can you talk about the, the biggest hurdles and obstacles when you're making a movie filming for IMAX with IMAX cameras and film? Uh, well, if you can see the, the, the platter be, behind me, uh, uh, it's uh, 600 pounds. Uh, 53 reels and 11 and a half miles long. So that's, when you get finished, that's a formidable thing just to, to ship. Um, uh, in, in shooting the movie, um, you know, the, the cameras um, only have a three minute load. Um, and that that is a, a task. Uh, the cameras are a bit noisy. So Chris has found ways to hide that noise and mix and, and, uh, and how he, he, he shoots things. Um, the the dailies of the movies. Um, Chris loves to to see his films in analog, so we actually make 35 millimeter print downs, and I'm lucky enough to watch every daily uh, off the set and uh, and also uh, report to the crews, um, and that takes a, a little bit of extra time. Where you could do a telecine and send it to them, you know, quite quickly over the internet. Chris does not want that. He wants the physical 35 millimeter reduction sent to him, and that's how he and the crew view, view it. Eventually, of course, there is a digital version made of that to put in the Avid so they can do, uh, do cutting. But the first viewing of the movie is in analog. And then halfway through the filming, we usually make 70 millimeter dailies and take it and show the crew because it's hard to explain the quality of IMAX if you only, um, you know, if you if you look at dailies in 35 millimeter, they look pretty good. But when you see it on a big screen like Jordan's, which I think is 90 feet, or Lincoln Square, or the BFI in London, or Melbourne, Australia, you get a, a real sense of immense immersion. And and just like you said, when you first see IMAX, uh, there's a literally gasp and the air gets sucked out of the room from people going, "Wow, I've never." quite seen anything like that I, that's a great point because i think that people are sometimes too quick to embrace the advancement of technology and they might think digital is better whereas imax and nolan are pursuing you know film and showcasing that film still is the number one format in terms of quality in terms of the coloring in terms of the what your image is what you're looking at in the image and so i think the the embracement of IMAX is so important because going forward, it's going to be important to get people to feel the spectacle, to want to go to the cinema, 
to want to see something they've never seen before. And IMAX seems to be the best way for audiences to be completely transformed and immersed into a film. And so you think going forward, how important it is to embrace this incredibly high quality format for the future of movie going? Well, I think it's important, but let's remember, you know, this is a business um, and uh, you have to weigh the pros and cons of, of the film print, which is significantly expensive, um, but it's an asset because of the rolling loop that lasts for 2,000 passes where 35 millimeter lasts for 200. So it is an asset, but you have to especially train projectionists. But as I said before, because the IMAX camera is so good in capturing uh, with such dynamic range, with such color fidelity, with, with such nuance in the, in, in the color, that everything downstream of that you know, um, improves because of the capture. It's called oversampling. So you know, our digital systems are, you know, are very good, some of the best in the world. And so we have to keep you know, everybody happy. Not everybody has a huge screen. Not everybody um, has an IMAX film projector. Um, and we, we have to be cognizant of the fact of, you know, can Kodak you know, make enough film? Can the laboratory you know, process enough film? Um, you know, it takes literally um, it, to make a digital copy of one of these movies, um, uh, we'll just let's say it takes three hours. And pro you know, depending on duplication, it probably takes less than that. Um, but to, to make a motion picture print uh, of Oppenheimer takes four days. Um, and so there's those factors to keep in mind. And, you know, just, and I was a kid growing up in, in Toronto, you know, you could go to the local uh, theater and see 35 millimeter, but if you, those times like Ben-Hur was coming out and Lawrence of Arabia and stuff, and, but there was a couple of places downtown where there's 70 millimeter. Well, if you're really aficionado, really like film, you'd go to those places. So this is for the people who really want the very, very best. Um, and, you know, it's it's a 9.5 on the scale. But, you know, our digital systems, some people would say the digital, they like it better. Um, they like the higher contrast, possibly. Uh, they like that there's no artifacts. I mean, in, in film, there's an odd piece of dirt, uh, white or dark, that you, you just can't get rid of. Some people are annoyed by that. Um, and so, therefore, digital digital has its, ass, its benefits and, and, and problems, and, and so does film. Now, before Chris got involved, like you said, before he started experimenting with what you can do with IMAX, most of the films being produced were documentaries, obviously, and even going to space with NASA and filming things in, in space, which is incredible. Was it always an ambition for IMAX to start getting into theatrical films like now? Well, it, it's, it's interesting you, uh, you bring that up because uh, we're actually – working with Francis Ford Coppola right now on his new movie. And uh, he's seen, he's seen a couple of our, our films, but more, more interesting than that, um, per your question in the mid seventies, Francis Ford called up our president, um, Graham Ferguson and said, I'd like to shoot apocalypse now in IMAX. Well, and, and that was, I've talked to Graham about that. Uh, he's unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. And I actually talked to Francis just a year ago and he said, that's absolutely true. But we were considering that in the early days. For whatever reason, you know, that was, that production was fraught with many difficulties. I'm, 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 we probably couldn't have handled it at that early stage of our careers, but it didn't happen. 
Um, but but uh, Francis um, was interested in doing that. And it literally took whatever the math is of uh, 40 years for Chris to see those images at the Science Museum in Chicago, for him to fall in love with the format, to meet up with us after Batman Begins and, and start our appreciation of each other and, and IMAX adding just a small bit of, of technology to make his movies maybe just a little bit better. But let's let's be clear here. It's Mr. Nolan, it's his writing, uh, it's his script, uh, it's his genius of, of, of changing formats from 220 to, to 143. Uh, he's, he's, he's the guide here and, and he's, he's the king of this and we couldn't be more grateful for him embracing our technology and you know, showing people around the world IMAX and an absolutely amazing story of Oppenheimer. It's incredible. And in terms of him embracing and pursuing that quality, when you were talking about the uh, like the downscaling when you're projecting it on digital or, or if someone's watching it from home if they rent it on Amazon and it's probably in HD or 2K. And so what you're saying earlier is that when it's filmed on IMAX film, since it's taking in so much information on the day, even when you downscale it to HD, it's going to look better than anything else. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely leaks through. You can, if you um, if, if you have a you know an ultra 4K of, of, of any of his movies, well, let's say the Dark Knight the Dark Knight was 239 and expanded to 143, but the the, the 4K ultra Blu-ray goes from 239 to 178, uh, and so you can see it pop. So when you when it pops, you'll know that's IMAX. And you can compare the quality of the 239 to the IMAX shot, and you'll absolutely see a difference. Now, what was your immediate, like, your first reaction and experience when you f saw the final cut of The Dark Knight in an IMAX theater after being part of this company for so many years and finally a, a film embracing it so much with this movie? What, w what was the feeling of seeing that come to fruition, the potential of IMAX in a cinematic theater for millions and millions of people around the world to see? Well, it's obviously um, a feeling of great pride that the whole company rallied together and, and uh, pulled this off. Um, you know, it's, there were people who said, you know, it could not be done. IMAX could not pull this off. Um, and we, we worked very diligently with our sound, with our, uh, with our partners at the exhibition to, to make this happen. And it was just a feeling of pride. I cannot remember exactly how many prints we had of The Dark Knight, but it was probably close close to 80 or 90. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in those days, we were basically almost completely a film system. We had just, we had just started to get into digital at, 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 uh, in those days. Um, and we did not have we didn't. We, we had digital 190 systems. We did not have our 143 digital systems like we have in Reading. But a great sense of pride, our whole company, and I think that pride has been reawakened with the great success of Oppenheimer. Um, and we couldn't be happier um, because it's such it's such a great film. And and obviously, the box office uh, has shown us that. Yeah, we love to see films like this perform well and get audiences excited and now you mentioned Denis Villeneuve on Dune 2 and I read that he's him and Fraser are trying to do more IMAX than they did in the fat in the previous film 
what's and since they like to they prefer most of the time shooting digitally and film and obviously Nolan and Hoytema love film but what are the similarities between how they approach the filming and the use of the IMAX format well you know that you're getting in you know I'm a technical guy you're getting into more of the aesthetics of filmmaking and I don't pretend to to understand all of that but I, I will say that that the, the, the Denny and Mr. Fraser, you know, un understand um, cinema very well and what they do shoot digitally, but they actually go through a film intermediate process and they put it on to film and then back out to digital. So they're there. They get the nuance and the the irregularity of grain structure. And although it's not exactly the same as shooting on film and projecting on film, they do want that intermittent, you know, nuance of 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 film um, technology uh, in digital. And everybody, I think you'll find that almost I'm not I don't know the percentage, but many many filmmakers shoot in digital. They try techniques to try to make it look like film by adding digital grain. And there's many ways of doing that. Um, and uh, Denny and Mr. Fraser, I believe they did on the first Dune, so I'm quite sure they're doing it on this. They go to a digital film intermediate before they go back out to digital to give us that more random, organic feel of film. Now, have you seen Dune Part 2? I know you probably can't talk about it, but I'm just very curious. It's, I'm very excited about this film. Uh, no, I haven't, but if I had, I'd have to kill you. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's worth it. It'd be worth it. Trust me. <laughs> I've seen the trailer. I've seen the trailer, but that we've been so focused uh, on Oppenheimer for the last, you know, number of months. Um, this has been our baby, but we have other very highly qualified people um, taking care of Denny uh, for Dune. How has the Oppenheimer release been different from any other IMAX release in the past? Well, one of the things that IMAX does, I think, quite well uh, is we, we pay attention to our customers around the world. At the end of every IMAX movie, there's a card that says, if you ha have any concern about the quality of this film, please contact CQO at IMAX.com. Well, that's me. Uh, <laughs> and um, So uh, over the last three weeks, um, I have been contacted by many, uh, many customers, um, and uh, they're very appreciative of the 70 million work. And I've got, I had more positive comments about quality on this movie than I have in a long time. Um, literally hundreds of emails, um, and you know we respond. Um, one of our secrets to our success, I think, is responding to customer concerns or congratulations um, in a timely manner. So when do people go to the movies? You know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that's what I do on the weekends is I respond to these people. And it, it might they may complain about the popcorn. They may be complain about the lights being left on too long. Um, they may complain about their neighbors. But they all want to be heard. And I think um, we're very good at responding to people. And no matter what their their issue is, if they get a meaningful, not a boilerplate, but a meaningful response, uh, they know that IMAX, our whole team around the world, cares about that presentation. Yeah, we started our show, our movie podcast, in June 2020 during the lockdown, and we actually drove to San Diego to see Tenet 
because it wasn't playing anywhere in Los Angeles. And I feel like Oppenheimer's been so important to remind everybody the power of IMAX. Obviously, we got that with Dune in 2021, but I think Oppenheimer's a really special film for audiences to remember how important in the cinematic event of seeing a film like this on film projection. Now, in your entire career, where does it rank in terms of films you're most proud of and what is your most the film you're most proud of working on? Um, my partner, Patricia Keeley, uh, always tells me not to overhype these things. Uh, and of course, that's important because, you know, you, you've been to many, many times talk to friends. Oh, you got to go see this movie. It's really fantastic. And then you build it up in your mind uh, and you go and say, well, that's not so good. Um, <laughs> that, that's not going to happen in this movie. I've, we've worked on over 500 films. This is definitely in my top five. Um, it's, it's an extraordinary piece of work, um, from almost every aspect. I can't think of, I can't think of anything. I said, gee, you know, I wish that would have been done differently. It just, it checks all the boxes. And I think with the critics, uh, and the audience, uh, they, they're backing that up, uh, in spades with everybody going to see this. And now it's extended in many theaters until the end of August. So that's really cool. It seems like it's never going to leave IMAX. I love it. Can't get tickets again. I've only been able to see it twice. <laughs> yeah, we want to go to the uh, the TCL Theater in Hollywood because it's a, a beautiful screen and huge, huge theater. So we want to try to go there at the end of August and see IMAX again. And Universal City Walk, we yeah. saw it there, which is such an incredible IMAX theater as well. So we're huge fans of IMAX. We always have been. We've been telling our fans every week about it to the point where they're annoyed about us. It's always a joke now. Always talking yeah. about IMAX because we've always loved the format since we were kids. Well, well yeah, so City Walk is very important. That is uh, where we go with uh, Christopher Nolan to watch all the dailies and all the tests. And then we're very proud of the fact we put a film projector back into TCL um, uh, like we did in Interstellar. So it's going to play through the end of August also. Um, and that's a great venue. It's been sold out, you know, for weeks. Uh, an iconic, uh, an iconic Hollywood place. And I know Chris and Emma, and we're all very pleased that uh, we can bring it to TCL also. Well, speaking of Interstellar, next year's the 10-year anniversary. I know. I don't know if this is a secret or is there rumblings of a potential re-release for that film in IMAX? You'll have to talk to, to our <laughs> people. And Mr. Demo, he'll 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 answer that question. <laughs> Had to try. I'd love to see that Had again. To try. Yeah. Um, you got anything else, pal? I'm I'm happy. Congratulations right. on the great success of Oppenheimer. Yeah. We adore it. And thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. It was so much fun to talk to you and talk shop about film and spread the word of IMAX and get your expert opinion. So thanks so much, David, for joining. Thank you, guys. Bye bye. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.